Welcome to the Central Baptist Church Victoria podcast. For more information, visit centralbaptistchurch.ca. For this morning, we have three passages of Scripture, so if you want to follow along at home, I think it's also going to be on the screen. The first passage is Proverbs 4, verses 1 to 9. Hear, O sons of fathers' instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. And the next passage of Scripture is Proverbs 5, 18 to 19. And kids, if you're still sticking around, you might want to plug your ears. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Check. Be intoxicated always in her love. And the last passage of Scripture comes from John chapter 15, verses 10 to 11. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Well, what a weekend. We finally got our day of snow, and I know that my kids are super excited. And if you're joining us, we want to welcome you. My name is Steve, and I'm one of the pastors here. And happy Valentine's Day. And so today is a good day that we can be talking about relationships. So let's just jump right in. First question is, what is your relationship status? And I don't mean, are you single or are you married? I mean, are you wise or unwise? Are you healthy or unhealthy? Are you spending time connecting with those that God has put in your life? Are you cultivating those relationships? Or are you just pretending that everything is okay? Years ago, I was doing some photos for a wedding, and it was at this resort called the Rowena's Inn. It's this unbelievable, picturesque resort that is on the Harrison River. And if you're facing the backside of the resort, you see the swimming pool, and then a golf course, then the water, and the mountains. It is unbelievable. And so this family was gathered to get their photo taken at a wedding, and they were against this rugged wall, which was, makes this fantastic backdrop. And I was trying to get them all framed in the photo. And I'm using this fixed-type lens, which means that I have to move my body backwards and forward to, to frame them. 
And so I started stepping backwards to get everyone in the photo. And suddenly I tripped backwards and my camera and everything I had was falling with me. Well, behind me was the cement block and my leg caught the corner and my leg was actually hurt and bleeding. And here I am laying on the ground, staring up at the sky, and suddenly someone says, hey, are you okay? Well, it was only a flesh wound, I said. (laughs) But actually, I was pretending to be okay because I was in a lot of pain. But how about you? Do you pretend in relationships? I mean, all of us have this idea of what we want our relationships to be. And at times we pretend that everything's going well. We may be single and we're looking for someone, but it's not going the way we want. We may be in a marriage and we're pretending, but really love has been sucked out. Or we look around and we wonder why our kids are such monsters. But everyone else seems to have it all together, right? But are you just pretending? Whether you're single, married, or have kids, we often pretend. And many households feel more like World War III than actually with the relationship that we really desire and want. Take a look at this song, Family Portrait from Pink. This is what she says. Mama, please stop crying. I can't stand the sound. Your pain is painful, and it's tearing me down. I hear glasses breaking as I sit up in my bed. I told Dad, you didn't mean those nasty things you said. You fight about money, about me and my brother, and this I come home to. This is my shelter. It ain't easy growing up in World War III. In our family portrait, we look pretty happy. Let's pray, play pretend. But isn't that the case for most of us? You know, we snap that picture, we smile, and we pretend. But actually, many of our relationships are struggling. They're not exactly what we want. And so today, I want to talk about the wisdom for close relationships. How do we get there? How do we put the right things in place so that we don't have to pretend? And as you're going to see, it's a whole lot of hard work. But it's also staying on the path of wisdom. So today, I'm going to focus on three things, three components. I'm going to talk about parenting. I'm going to talk about marriage. And I'm also going to talk about singleness. And the three points that I have are, is I want to set wise goals for life. But also, we need to work hard on our close relationships. And thirdly, we've got to keep looking to Christ for fulfillment. So first, we need to set Wise goals for life. Well, today I just want to talk about parenting for a moment. And the first goal is we need to be committed to the right things. We need to be committed to the right things. 
Look with me at Proverbs 4, 1 to 2. This is what it says. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. So the first thing is, is that, O sons, hear a father's instruction. That means that a father, it's his responsibility to be giving instruction to his kids, be passing off wisdom. Ah, but mothers, you're not off the hook. Many Proverbs talk about mothers and fathers passing off wisdom to their kids. That this is done in close relationship. That we have this responsibility to pass on wisdom from generation to generation. That there's this giving and receiving that is happening in a family relationship. That it's a two-way process. Oh, but kids, you're not off the hook. Look what it says. Be attentive. At this point, I know when my dad was giving me instructions, I started to groan, right? Come on, dad, seriously, again? Or my mom? It spiraled down into an argument. No, kids, we need to pay attention to what our parents are saying. This is for you. But parents, I also want to remind you that we have this small window in which we need to pass on wisdom to our kids. And if we miss that window, we miss what Proverbs is saying. And ultimately, the goal of instruction is that we position our kids towards wisdom and ultimately Christ. But parents, we must be committed to passing on wisdom. Look what Rick Warren says. Your commitments can develop you or destroy you, but either way, they will define you. Your commitments can develop you or destroy you, but in the end, they will define you. It reminds me of Proverbs 22.6, which says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Why? Because all those things that you put into place, that you're committed to, add up over time. And in the end, will define you. Okay, let's move on. The next goal is character. So this is what the Proverbs are saying, is, is that we need to be developing character in our home. Well, what is character? Well, character is really who you are when no one's looking, right? It's that trust, integrity, and responsibility that we have. It's that inner person. And the Bible's metaphor for the inner person is the heart. So look with me at Proverbs 4, 4. It says this. It says, He taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. The next verse says, Above all else, guard your heart, 
for it's the wellspring of life. Guard your heart. In other words, character is the, is the control center. That's why he's saying guard it. Be careful because it directs the entire person. Because when your heart longs for the wrong things, you actually become the wrong thing. I'll say it again. When your heart longs for the wrong thing, you become the wrong thing. And that's why the parent in Proverbs is saying, guard it. Be careful who you become. Pay attention to your character. A scholar named Michael Fox says this. Wisdom is a configuration of character. It's a compound of knowledge, fears, expectations, and desires that enables one to identify the right path and keep to it. Wisdom means not only knowing, but also wanting to do what is right and then to avoid sin. But I love the points where he's saying it's not, it's this configuration of character. It's knowledge, it's fears, it's, it's, it's expectations, but it's, it's these desires. It's these wants that we need to pay attention to. Because if we can get those in alignment with God, we have character. The question that we need to be asking is this. How do we lead our kids down paths of producing godly character? How do we lead our kids down paths of producing godly character? Well, the Bible says that character is developed through hardship and trials. It's not developed by just giving your kids everything that they want. It's fostered through experiencing God's love and a parent's love, especially when they fall short. Character unleashes hope in suffering, and God produces character in us. But here, character is the image of Christ being formed in us. Character is the image of Christ being formed in us. Parents, are we helping the image of Christ being formed in our kids? What does that look like? What does that mean? Or are we just trying to get through the day? The next goal is that we need to develop competency in a leader. The next goal is competency. Look with me at Proverbs 4, 7 to 8, which says this. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. In other words, the book of Proverbs is saying, parents, work hard at being competent in passing off wisdom. It's getting better at the what and how of wisdom. 
It's investing. It's cultivating that skill so that your kids are gaining wisdom. It's prizing it. It's recognizing how important wisdom is in the home. And you're prizing it so much that you're doing everything in your effort to resource yourself so that you can prepare your kids for high school, for college, for dating, and for marriage. It's lifting it up and saying, hey, I want to prepare you for what our culture is about to hit you with. I want to help you live in this ugly world because we need wisdom. So let me ask you this. Why are so many young adults leaving the church? I mean, there's been studies on it. But as someone who has worked with you for over 12 years, I've observed quite a few different things in this area. Is it because, honestly, that our youth groups are just too flashy? You know, we have smoke machines. We're, we're entertaining them. You know, rock music. Is, is that why? Or is it because church is just so boring and kids aren't getting plugged in? Or is it because a secular culture is just swallowing up our kids? Oh, they all may play a factor. Don't get me wrong. But I don't think it's the key reason. In a 2016 study done by Lifeway, the key components to a child's greatest factor in predicting spiritual health into their young adults is this, if I could have the slide, is that the child regularly read their Bible while growing up in the home. That they regularly spent time in prayer. That they served in the church. That they listened to Christian music. And it goes on and on. In other words, the commonality is they developed wise habits in the home. And parents, it was passed off onto their children. And all the factors were why young adults left the church is because the child did not want to go to a church as a teen. And the parents were like, okay, just don't go. That's okay. Or the child was rebellious and never received correction. Or they just primarily listened to secular music. I think this gives us great insight to why young adults have left the church. And unfortunately, the most important ministry is not youth ministry. Actually, it's family ministry. And what happens in the home absolutely matters. This is why parents need to, on a daily, weekly, and annual basis, impart wisdom to their kids. Okay, at this point, maybe your kids aren't following Christ, and you may be feeling guilty and heavy. And to be honest, that's hard. But I also want to say that we've all failed in this area. And there's always a chance for a new start. But I want to encourage you to make a change today, even for yourself. 
where you're developing a commitment, character, and competency in your own life. Secondly, I want to talk about marriage. How do we have healthy relationships? Well, the second thing is we need to work hard at our close relationships. First few insights as well. Work hard to avoid adultery. This is what Proverbs 6.32 says. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. And Proverbs is simply warning those who are easily swayed and lured by things like beauty and a desire for another. It's this warning, hey, be careful when you're tempted. Be careful who you hang out with, especially someone else's spouse. Be careful of who you confide in. Be careful. To be honest, most people who fall into adultery don't actually plan it. They take steps towards something that they didn't think was going to happen, but eventually find themselves in a relationship that they can't pull themselves away from. And then the damage and the destruction. Next, it says, work hard to avoid marrying the wrong person. Look with me at Proverbs 21.9. It says this, It's better to live alone in the corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome wife in a lonely home. Proverbs 21.19 says, It's better to live alone in the desert than with a quarrelsome, complaining wife. Okay, I'm just going to drop that right there. I think that was written by a man. But it also applies to both sexes. It's saying be careful who you marry because the wrong spouse can feel like emotional and at times physical torture. Be careful. Don't just jump in. The next warning, Proverbs 11.22 says this. A beautiful woman who lacks discretion is like a gold ring in a pig's snout. Barton also references verse. But honestly, the first thing that I've heard when I'm talking with my fellow friends and guys is like, hey, look how beautiful she is, right? I've even seen it at this church. You know, all the young, single young adults, all of a sudden this beautiful young woman comes in the room. And they're all like, Phew. look, 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 Right? She may be beautiful, but she may be lacking in every other area. Is what this Proverbs is saying. Saying, be careful, guys. That's not the most important thing. And when you have a lack of discretion, when choosing the wrong spouse, it can lead to all kinds of relational problems. Cheating, money problems, constant fighting. And this is why the writer of Proverbs is saying, hey, be careful. If you're single, don't just jump in. Well, then who is the right person? 
Well, Proverbs 31 paints a very different picture. And again, it's talking about a wife. This is what it says. She is a role model. She is a woman of strength. She is trustworthy. She is hardworking, and she fears the Lord. And when you find her, she is far more precious than jewels. And it gives this very different idea than what our culture gives of who the perfect mate is. We'll talk more about that at the end of the sermon. So next, we also need to work hard to cultivate a healthy relationship if you're married with your spouse. We need to work hard to cultivate a healthy marriage with your spouse. Look with me at Proverbs 5, 18 to 19. It says this, Let your fountain be blessed, and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer and a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Now again, the writer of Proverbs is saying, Hey, young man, once you're married, your attention should not be on all of the other beautiful women over here. Your attention should be on your wife. In other words, stop scrolling on Instagram and going, hey, wow, look at her. Or when you're walking down the street, you stop gawking and your, your attention, your, your proper channel for you should be your spouse. I'm going to borrow a few thoughts from Timothy Keller here. He says, a spouse is someone that is bound to you in covenant. And in that covenant, it first means that you are their lover. The husband is to be intoxicated with his wife's love. It's because of your covenant bond, you learn to stick with each other through all the things. You learn to repent. You learn to forgive. You learn to go through the hard things and the good things. And then sex becomes the celebration of your life together. And the physical union is this wonderful sign of all of the aspects of your life. And that true sexual chemistry then grows out of the whole entire relationship, not just simply attraction. In other words, marriage is built on so much more than sex. I just want to talk to the husbands for a second. Husbands, if you want to have a good sex life, you know what he's saying? He's saying that you need to value and cherish your wife. That you need to fill her love tank. That you need to care for her well. And that all works together in a relationship where you can have health. And beauty. And everything that you both want. But it takes hard work. Keller says this. Well, what does the word husband actually mean? He says, well, the English word means husbandry. It means to cultivate. And it's used in a verb, to cultivate, which means if you are a husband, it's your job to cultivate and nurture your wife. In other words, you have a lifetime 
to impact your wife in such a way that she's opening up to you, that she's becoming exactly who God wants because you are making an environment in which she feels loved and safe and you're working together as one. In other words, husband, God is calling you to love and care for your wife. Now, all of us need to almost get t-shirts who are husbands that say husbandry to remind us of what it means to be a husband. So here's a question. What is our Western approach to marriage? What is our Western approach to marriage? Well, it's simply this. If I don't get what I want, I'm done. I'm out. Where do I sign? Next, right? It's not sticking with our spouse through the thick and the thin and really learning what it means to cultivate and love each other well. In the book, The Best Advice I Ever Got on Marriage, Dim Daly says this. When he was traveling to India, a young tour guide told him that he, back home, had an arranged marriage. And so he asked, well, what do you think is the main difference between your arranged marriage and a North American marriage? This is what he said. I think the assumption in an Indian arranged marriage is that over time, you will fall in love with that married person. But in a North American marriage, you fall in love get married, and then fall out of love. What a great insight. I mean, for those who are married, do you remember what it was like to fall in love? You know, falling in love was easy, but, but staying in love is much difficult, much more difficult. I mean, someone who's been married 20 years, I can honestly say, I've fallen in and out of love in many regards. And at times, I can fixate on all the ways in which my partner is failing me. And the more I do that, the more I fall out of love. But when I start to fixate on all the things that I should be doing to care for my wife. Even when I don't love her, I fall back in love. Well, what if we put as much effort into our marriages as we did our careers? What would happen? I think we would find that more couples would be in love. Or what if you were married to you? What would you change? Maybe put that on your mirror. What if you were married to you? You know, over the years, Megan and I did a lot of hard work on marriage. One of the things that we did is we read a lot of marriage books together. I'm going to recommend two books right now. And for years, we would spend at least one night a week reading a chapter and discussing it together and coming together where we're both working on the marriage. And one of the books was His Needs and Her Needs. 
The other book that I've just recently found is Seven Secrets to an Awesome Marriage. Both I would highly recommend. But to be honest, there's been times where I've seen many couples putting in all of the hard work. You know, they've applied wisdom. They've experienced a season of love. But then they find themselves right back at the same problems. And this book had a great point. And a marriage counselor named Kim Kimberling describes a situation in which she was the fourth marriage counselor for this certain couple. And the couple went to her and said, hey, hey, I, I, I'm so tired of just kind of working through these issues. We want permanent change. This is what she said. Change for the long term is different. This involves a heart change. And who better to change a heart but God? So how do we actually do that? Here's three things that she said. Step one, admit that we have been selfish and have put our wants and desires above those of God and just stop the insanity. Step two, commit to put, your, to put God first in everything and seek his help in doing this. And then step three, Keep God first every day for the rest of our lives. In other words, relationships take hard work. If you want this closeness and this intimacy, it actually starts with you and a heart change. Next, keep looking to Christ for fulfillment. Keep looking to Christ for fulfillment. Well, here's the thing is that you will find fulfillment in Jesus. And I want to take a moment to talk to all my single friends. Maybe you have been searching for a spouse and you haven't found them. Or maybe you're actually called to be single for the rest of your life. Either way, I want to show you how you can have fulfillment in Christ. Because actually, it doesn't matter what your relationship status is. You will never find fulfillment in human relationships. No boyfriend, no girlfriend, doesn't matter how many kids you have, will completely satisfy you. And everyone who's lived life long enough can probably tell you that. That at some point, every relationship will fall short. And let you down. Look with me at John 15, 10 to 11. It says this. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy be in you, and that your joy may be full. In other words, our fulfillment, our joy is all connected to abiding in Christ. Knowing him on a deeper level. And no human relationship can fill the void of our creator. That we were made to be close to him. We were made to be satisfied in knowing him. And knowing him on a deeper level. Despite 
our human relationships. Many of us are trying to find wholeness by acquiring the attention of an attractive or maybe amusing significant other. Many are looking to that physical connection for satisfaction. But on the contrary, as many have woken up on the other side of experiencing a hookup or a booty call, but after that initial thrill, we're left disappointed and empty. Why? Because again, human intimacy will never completely satisfy you. But single people, you shouldn't have to compromise the call of God to feel satisfied in a relationship. You shouldn't have to compromise your relationship, your connection with God, just to find intimacy. In fact, the exact opposite is true. 1 Corinthians 7, 32-35 talks about the benefits of being single. It talks about if you're married, your interests are divided between your responsibilities for taking care of your spouse and God. And when you don't have that extra responsibility, oh, you can serve so much more. That you can not have your interests divided. That you can fully focus on what it means to abide in Christ and be exactly who God has called you to be. You can have a greater impact in the kingdom of God. But the Bible also says, if your passions are strong, then get married. And there's nothing wrong with that. But here's the thing. If you're looking for a mate, do you have standards? Are you going to date the kind of person who rolls up their sleeves and contributes to their community, their church, and the world, and making that a better place? Are you going to date a man or woman who serves Christ well? Who considers others? Who has kindness and and integrity? Who are you looking for? You know, you may be even saying, well, do those men and women actually exist? Or is that just someone, you know, out of a romance novel or a fairy tale? And at times, it may actually feel like that. But you have no idea who God has for you. And then when you seek your fulfillment in him, in his timing, if you desire to be married, he has the right person for you. Or maybe they're already in your life and you just need to lower some other expectations and increase some other ones. God knows. But the last thing is that we need to be making good choices. And another Christian woman put it this way. All the small and large decisions we make all add up. They're like seeds that we sow for the future. So, friends, choose wisely who and what you focus on. If you find yourself discouraged and single, don't go home and just start watching romance movies on Netflix. 
Don't listen to Michael Buble and start spooning your pillow because you will be only left with more disappointments. And none of these choices are sowing seeds that will actually reap contentment. They will reap discouragement. And they will actually sabotage your joy and your excitement for God. But rather, choose to be around people who are maximizing the season that they're in. Be around people who are passionate about Jesus. And avoid friendship circles that just support discontent singleness. But note that every story is different. Make the most of your story. Hustle for the things that matter. Take risks. Go on blind dates if that's what you want. Even if it's a train wreck, try something. Make memories. Laugh a lot. Serve others. Solve problems. Shape culture. Serve Jesus. And make a difference. Because this is your story. So in closing, it doesn't matter if you're single, married, or a parent. We all need wisdom. But wisdom in itself will not transform your heart. You can become smart and successful, but it does not make you wise like Christ. Good decisions will just help you enjoy good things. But it doesn't actually address our greater problem, does it? Good decisions don't deal with the inner human issue that breaks relationship between God and others. And we are so good at deceiving ourselves, right? Chasing the things that don't matter. Rather than investing in our relationship with God and those that God has put in our life. But honestly, spiritual wisdom starts when we start to recognize our need for Christ. Our need for a Savior where we can't produce godly wisdom on our own. That we need to surrender ourselves to the cross. But here's the thing. There's good news for all of us who have broken relationship with others. There's good news if you've experienced regret and failure along the way because you've made unwise decisions. And so this morning, I want us to bring our regret to the cross so that God can transform our hearts. And today that we can make a change from this day forward, a change where God changes the inner desire of our hearts and we make a decision to live differently through Christ and we get back onto the path of wisdom. And the way to God's wisdom is through the cross. So let me ask you this. What do you want to see happen in your close relationships? What do you want to see happen in your marriages? 
What do you want to see happen with your kids? What do you want for your grandkids? For future generations? This is why we need to plan out and follow a wise path. His wise path. So what is your relationship status? Do you know Christ? Is it wise or unwise? Let's stop pretending. So in closing, I want to reflect on three questions. And I just want to say, let God speak to you. Maybe take out a piece of paper, and under these three questions, you can write down whatever God says to you. Or you can take out an app and write it in a note. But Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would speak to us in this moment. And here's the first question. What do you need to start Based on who you want to become, what discipline do you need to start? It may be something to do with your, your marriage or your kids. What is God saying to you? The next thing, what do you need to stop so that you can become wise, so that you can truly abide in Christ? Number three, how can you empower your kids with wisdom? What is something that you can do as a family that you can insert into your routine that you can position your kids to really know Christ in a deeper level so they don't leave the church one day, God willing? So just soak in those questions. Again, let God speak to you. And I just pray that you would actually make a change today. Let's pray together. God, thank you for Proverbs. Thank you for the ability to really glean wisdom and insert it into our lives. And I just pray for parents and those who are in difficult marriages and those who are single, God. Whatever our relationship status is, I pray that you would just transform us today. Thank you that you are bigger than our regrets, that we can bring our regrets to the cross. And I just pray that we would do that this morning. But we wouldn't just soak and stay in that posture. But that we would make a change today. A change that would put us back on the path of wisdom change that would help other generations know you and again that it starts with us so good today I just pray that this wouldn't just be words that we would put these things into action I pray this in Jesus name